his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. The accepted definition of a planet is an object that orbits a star that is big enough for its gravity to have forced it into a spherical shape and that has cleaned out its orbit of all the other competing objects. And we know that there are eight of them in our solar system ever since Pluto was demoted to dwarf planet status back in 2006. The Earth has cleaned out its part of space either by gravitational interactions that ejected the other objects or by collisions that absorbed them. So Theia probably formed, um, like the proto-Earth, on an Earth-crossing orbit. Theia is an ancient planet that researchers believe collided with the Earth billions of years ago. And if you have an Earth-crossing orbit, eventually you're going to be at the same place at the same time and you're going to have a collision. And Mike, we're talking about the Earth and Theia this week because a study published in the journal Nature last month hypothesizes that two enormous blobs, that's a technical term, inside the Earth are actually remnants of a collision between the Earth and that ancient planet. And that's one of our producers, Chris Blake. I'm Mike Rogers, and this is Something Offbeat. I spoke with one of the authors of that study, Dr. Paul Asimov, to learn what that blob really is and hear him disprove the hollow Earth theory. Mike, I'm getting the sense this episode might feel like the old children's TV show, The Magic School Bus. As Miss Frizzle says, take chances, make mistakes, and get messy. I love the word blob. It's very descriptive. It doesn't have any particular technical definition, but when you have a system that is acting like a fluid, it's deforming all the time, and it has another fluid embedded within it, the blobs in a lava lamp are a really nice model for starting to understand what you're seeing. So imagine that your lava lamp has orange blobs in it in a clear fluid, and the orange blobs, uh, they live for a very long time, they stay separate, and if you turn off the lava lamp, they settle to the bottom, right? It's only the heat coming into the lava lamp being absorbed by the orange material or whatever it is that makes it sometimes rise to the top. It's a good model for what's going on in the earth. Now, the real technical term for these blobs, at least in this case, is large, low-velocity provinces. One underneath Africa, one underneath the South Pacific. They actually have names. One is called Jason, after the, uh, the late Jason Morgan, professor at Princeton, who formulated plate tectonics. One is called Tuzo, after uh, J. Tuzo Wilson, another early uh, proponent of plate tectonics. How big are they? How deep are they? And what are they? Okay, how big are they? They're uh, somewhere between 2 and 5% of the mass of the whole Earth. They cover about a quarter of the core mantle boundary which is a layer that is uh, 3,000 kilometers deep. If you want uh, roundabout 
1,600 miles. I prefer kilometers. And they are quite tall. They're about 1,000 kilometers tall. So when you look at them on a map, if you spread it out in latitude and longitude, like you were looking at a map of the Earth's surface, they look much bigger than they are because they're halfway to the center, right? And the surface area of the core halfway to the center is only a quarter of the surface area of the surface. And I suppose there are all sorts of theories as to where they came from. Exactly. They could just be a byproduct of the regular workings of the Earth, or they could be primordial. They could be somehow left over from the very early evolution of the Earth, and that's the idea we're testing here, is we know of one event which took a large amount of exotic material and slammed it into the Earth, and the question is, did it survive? And if so, could it have the properties that we associate with the large low-velocity provinces today? And that's what this paper is testing. Let's look at the events that we think happened 4.52 billion years ago that formed the moon. Let's look at what the consequences of that event would be. And let's ask whether it's plausible for fragments of the impactor uh, to have survived through all of geologic time. And if they had survived, would they look like Chuzo and Jason? So we're talking about the possibility of a collision between the Earth and a much smaller planet. Exactly. So that gets us into where do planets come from? How do planets grow? And the theory of how planets grow and the simulations that people do of large numbers of particles orbiting around stars shows that these large violent collisions are an inevitable outcome of the later stages of planet formation. It's commonplace for objects like moons and Mars-sized planetesimals to run into each other. So it's not surprising that that should have happened. The reason we are pretty sure that this happened to the Earth is we have the moon. The moon is pretty exotic in the scheme of things. If you look around the rest of the solar system, there aren't that many planets that have moons that are as big relative to the planet as the moon. But since Apollo, there's basically been one. There's basically one theory that explains the evidence we have for how fast the Earth spins, how fast the moon orbits, how big the moon is, how big the moon's core is, the composition of the moon rocks. Pretty much the only theory that's left standing is the giant impact hypothesis, that during the accretion of the Earth, it grew to about 90% of its size, and then the last 10% all came in in a single event with this small planet about the size of Mars that we call Theia, a hypothetical planet because it's gone, and simulations of that event show that the impact of Theia with the Earth could have knocked enough debris into orbit to condense to form the moon. So what do we know about Theia? It formed around our star, like all the other planets we have today. But you started out with dust. You end up with, depending on how you count, eight planets. You're going to have to knock some of them together or eject some of them to get down to the ones that we have. Wouldn't a collision of this magnitude have knocked the Earth out of its orbits? No, what it did was spin up the Earth to rotate much faster than it did before. But it's very hard to take an object the size of the Earth and perturb its orbit around the sun very much. Obviously, it, the orbit of Theia was perturbed a lot because it got absorbed by the Earth. But no, it's very unlikely that uh, anything much smaller than Jupiter could knock the Earth out of its orbit around the sun. 
Well, now that, that's an interesting thing to say about Jupiter, because I'm, I'm wondering now that Theia is out of the way, I would think that the odds of us colliding with another planet at this point would be pretty much zero. Everyone's locked into their orbit, right? Exactly. The, the debris is cleaned out for the most part. There are still collisions in the asteroid belt, which isn't really cleaned out. And that will sometimes send uh, showers of meteorites to the Earth, but, you know, tiny ones. And, of course, there are comets that get perturbed and come rocketing through the inner solar system, but they're small. So we still have events that are pretty bad from a point of view of given species, things like the Cretaceous Paleogene impact 66 million years ago that is associated with the extinction of the non-avian dinosaurs. But there isn't anything big enough and rogue enough, we think, to um, cause an event of, of this sort of magnitude. Now, to be clear, what Asimo and his colleagues are trying to prove is that these blobs are remnants of Theia. Researchers have known about Jason and Tuzo for more than 40 years. Dominantly, the structure of the Earth is layered. The most obvious features of the Earth are that it has an inner core, an outer core, a lower mantle, an upper mantle, a crust. And until, well, let's say through the 19th century, the early 20th century, up into about the 1970s, what seismologists did using waves from earthquakes and seismometers distributed around the world was try to do their very best job coming up with the average spherical structure of the Earth, where the, the only variations are as a function of depth. And they got pretty good at that, so that they could predict, you know, if there were an earthquake 10,000 kilometers away from your seismometer, it would take the waves so many minutes to arrive. But then they started noticing that you could have an earthquake and a seismometer 10,000 kilometers apart, and on different parts of the Earth, the travel times would be different. There would be places where those waves would travel those 10,000 kilometers a few seconds faster or a few seconds slower. He says that indicated to seismologists that not everything underneath the Earth's top layer was symmetrical. But before we knew about the Earth's layers, there was the hollow Earth theory. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Chris, are you familiar with this? I had heard of it, but I was definitely not an expert on the hollow earth theory before this week. But now I've done my fair share of reading about it. See, to me, it's right up there with the flat earth theory. It, it makes sense to a five-year-old, but not to an adult with more than two brain cells to rub together. And I know I'm now going to get a bunch of nasty emails from all the hollow earthers. Is that a different subset than the flat earthers? 
kind of the same. I've learned that one of the most popular hollow Earth theories involves entrances to the center of the Earth at each pole, which some people even falsely claim that the North and South Poles have never been photographed. Yeah, I swear I've seen photographs of both, the South Pole in particular. That's probably because you have. They exist. I also enjoy that people have proposed that ancient civilizations, aliens, or even Vikings live in the center of the Earth. Now, these are all relatively modern theories, but I want old school. Asimov says the hollow Earth theory can actually be traced back to the 17th century. It was originally in modern science introduced for a very good reason. It was introduced by, by no less a scientist than Sir Edmund Halley, the astronomer who is best known for his work on comets, but he did something else really important, which is he characterized the variations of the Earth's magnetic field from a simple dipole where the magnetic needle always points true north. And he actually sailed around the Atlantic with a compass, looking at the variations in the magnetic field. And also he knew that the magnetic field changes, that the poles drift, and the direction of the magnetic needle is not always the same on a time scale of tens or hundreds of years about is magnetic induction, which is the other way of making a magnetic field. Instead of a permanent magnet, you have an electromagnet. And the way the Earth's core works, it's much more like an electromagnet. And it's a low viscosity fluid, molten iron that flows around. And so we have a new explanation, modern explanation for how the magnetic field varies over time that does not require a hollow Earth. I did see the movie, though. <laughs> Journey to the center of the Earth with the dinosaurs down there. Sure. I mean, in, in imagination, it's a great idea. It gives you lots of territory to explore, and you can give it whatever properties you want. And it would also seem to me that these two objects uh, contained within the Earth basically absorbed this planet that collided with us. That would probably disprove the hollow Earth theory, because if we collided with a planet and the Earth was hollow, we'd be, it'd be like an egg. We'd be broken into a million pieces. More than that, you don't even need a collision to break the egg. So one of the problems with hollow earth theory is we know how strong rocks are and we know how strong gravity is. And if you try to make a hollow planet, by the time it gets as big as the earth, the rocks just aren't strong enough to hold open the space. They're going to collapse. What is the next step in this research? Where do we go from here? There's a couple directions that we can go in. One is the Artemis mission is going to bring back a bunch more moon rocks that will allow us to learn more about the properties of the moon, which is the other consequence of this giant impact that has, has experienced much less modification through geologic history. Another is that seismology continues to get better, especially as we get more seismometers more sensitive seismometers and more data science techniques to manipulate the huge quantities of data that these seismometers generate, we're going to get better at resolving the, how sharp the edges of the large low velocity provinces are, how um, hot they are versus how different they are chemically, um, and whether their properties continue to fit the predictions of this particular model. Well, Chris, did it turn out like the magic school bus ride you thought it would? It really did. I feel like we traveled back four and a half billion years into outer space and into the center of the Earth, hollow or full. Speaking of which, did you know Little Richard sang the theme song to that show? That sounds like the start of a whole nother episode. Could be. 
I'm Mike Rogers. Thanks for listening to Something Offbeat. This episode written and produced by Lauren Barry and Chris Blake with audio editing by Brief Lawrence, original music by Myron Kaplan, and editorial support from Cooper Mall. If you keep listening, please subscribe to us on the Odyssey app, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcast. And if you've got your own offbeat story that you think we should cover, we'd love to hear about it. Send it to us at somethingoffbeat at odyssey at A-U-D-A-C-Y dot com. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.